Well, good morning. Greetings in the Master's name this morning. It's good to see each one of you and to be here to worship with you this morning. The Lord has given me in the past weeks since I shared a message here last, two messages. And this is the first of those two messages. There, at first, I didn't see the connection, but as I thought about it, started to see more connection between those two. Um, I appreciate your prayers for me. I know many of you pray for me as I prepare, and I anticipate and would appreciate your prayers. Uh, this is the easier of the two messages. The second message is going to be harder. So I desire your prayers in that regard. Also, Dane and I and our family are going to be going the next two Sundays because I'm preaching elsewhere. So in between when I preach today and when I'm scheduled to preach here again in three weeks, I have two other messages to work on. So I appreciate your prayers for that as well. The title of the message this morning is, I Believe. And you can turn for a text to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Now there's two ways to think about that title. One of them is, what I'm saying to you. I believe. So me saying that I believe something, I'm telling you what I believe. I'm communicating that to you. And this message in part is, is born out of a desire to communicate to you something that I believe. But there's also another way to look at this. And that is that you put yourself in the place of, the of say, stating the title where you are saying, I believe. And that's could be a sense of question maybe. Do I believe this? Uh, but it could also be a, a statement, a personal statement that you're making. I believe. First thing that I would like, I have four things that I would like to focus on, I believe this morning. The first one is, I believe in the power of the gospel. And Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says this. Well, let me back up to 15. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. So Paul is saying that with, with what is in me, with everything that is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. And then he makes this statement, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. What I really wanted to, want us to catch there is that it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. I believe in that power this morning. The power of God unto salvation. Well, what does salvation mean? 
In the Scripture, salvation is to be made free from sin. Salvation from sin. You can turn now to Romans chapter 6. We're going to start reading at verse 5 and read through verse 11 and then read verse 18 as well. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once, but in that He liveth, He liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then to verse 18, Being then made free from sin, we became the servants of righteousness. So Paul is laying out here how the gospel makes us free from sin. Through death, we are made free from sin. In verse 7 he said, For he that is dead is freed from sin. And then in verse 11, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I believe that this morning, that through giving my life completely over to Jesus Christ, that I die to who I was. And through that death am made free from sin. And that from that perspective, I consider myself to be alive unto God by the power of His Spirit. can turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 9 through 11. Where it says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. And I'm going to say that this is making a statement. It's saying that those who live unrighteous lives will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to lay out what that is. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now that sounds like a pretty bleak picture. And that's a list of people and people who practice those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then there's an amazing statement at the beginning of the next verse. And such were some of you. You see, that's where we were. Outside of Christ, that's where we are. But, ye were washed. Ye are sanctified. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The power of the Gospel to change who we are from something that is dead into something that is living. Something that is cleaned up. Something that is justified before God. Something that is sanctified. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Very familiar verse. 
And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. For in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved. And that word quickened, which shows up two times there, once in verse 1 and again in verse 5, that means to, to make alive. So I believe in the power of the gospel to make us alive. That we can be living before God. That He can see us as something besides dead. That He sees us as something that is living. I believe in the power of the gospel to change the world. John 12, 46. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I come not to judge the world, but to save the world. And I believe that this gospel, this powerful gospel that Paul is talking about is available to every person in the world. And that it can change every person in the world. It has the power to change the world. Now much of what I was talking about in this powerful gospel that I believe in is about the work of God. It's about the work that God is doing with mankind. It also involves our participation but it's the power of God at work. And I want to, as, as I get into the message here, I want to make that clear because the power of God is critical to the rest of the message. To recognize that it's the power of God at work. And as we go on through the message, we're going to move away from the, the focus on the power of God, but it's still the overarching and, and embedded aspect is the power of God at work. I believe we are here for a purpose. You can turn to Acts 13. I think maybe I used this verse here recently, but if I did, you'll have to forgive me. I want to focus on it a little more, draw it out a little more. Acts 13:36. And this is, in a, this is in a passage where a defense is being made about the resurrection. And there's a quotation made from the Old Testament. In verse 35 it says, Therefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And so that's a quotation from the Old Testament talking about that... Uh, David had written that the Holy One of God would not, would not decay in the grave. And he makes this statement in verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. 
Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And so that's talking about the focus there is on Jesus. But there's a statement there about David that I want us to pick up on. And I really like the way the New American Standard says this verse. It says something more like this, and I didn't print it down. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and decayed. But he, David served the purpose of God in his generation. And that's the little snippet that I want us to think about this morning. That David had a specific purpose from God in his generation. And he served that purpose. And I want us to think just a little bit about part of what that purpose was. One of the Bible stories that I remember growing up was one of my favorites was the story of David and Goliath. And, and we're all amazed by the, the heroism, maybe if you will, or the, the excitement of this young man going, having the courage to go and fight this man of war and winning this battle. But let's think about that picture just a little bit. Here we have the people of God. We have all of Israel. The, Israel, the, the army of Israel is, is there on the one hill and the Philistine army's on the other and Goliath's coming down into the valley and he's saying, choose a man to come out and fight me. Choose a man. Why do we all have to fight? One of you come and fight me. And the whole army of Israel was trembling with fear. The people of God were trembling with fear. See, that was a situation in David's, in, in David's generation. That was a situation that Israel was in. That's where they were. And God had a purpose for David. And David came in there and he said, why are you afraid? I'll fight this man. I'll go and do this task. I'll put my faith in the Lord and I'll fulfill this purpose. Is God calling us to fight Goliath today? No. Not in that sense. But I believe this morning, brothers and sisters, that God has a purpose for us that takes just as much courage. I believe that. I believe that we have a purpose, and that purpose is not an insignificant purpose. I believe He has a purpose for us right here in Harrisonburg. And that that purpose is so profound that God is willing to risk His reputation by putting His name on us as His children. If you call yourself a Christian this morning, you are taking the name of God with you. You are representing Him. That's a purpose that is profound beyond our comprehension. Brothers, and I would say this morning, especially young men, and it's true for the older men too, but God has a purpose. If you give your life to Him completely, He has a purpose that will take 
the maximum amount of courage. It'll take the maximum amount of strength. It'll take the maximum amount of manhood to fulfill that purpose. If you're willing to give your life to the purpose of God, He will give you all the challenge that you can reach for. And His name will be glorified through your life. Young ladies, sisters, God wants to show a beauty and a wisdom through you that can be seen in no other way. He has a purpose for you this morning. And He wants you to live that purpose. I heard a quote recently that has just been running through my mind and running through my mind. And I misquoted it in the youth Sunday school class the other day, so I'll try to get it right here. You can't live ethically trivially. You cannot live ethically trivially. That makes me think about the Bible's call to soberness. And that's not a call to a straight face. That's a call to discretion and watchfulness and moderation. But primarily watchfulness, alertness. And it's often connected with our mind. I'm going to read two passages, one from 1 Thessalonians 5. This is speaking about the return of Christ, and it says, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not sleep as do others. Let us not lose our consciousness of the purpose that we have in life. When you go to sleep, you lose the consciousness of your purpose. And it's saying, do not lose your consciousness. But instead, watch and be sober. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. You see, that idea of appointed there has to do with our purpose. God has appointed us to something. He's appointed a purpose to us. He's not appointed us to wrath, to doing evil. But He has appointed us to obtain salvation. And that's not going to be able to, we're not going to be able to do that when we're sleeping. Titus chapter 2 speaks to, to every age group. The older men, the older women, the young men, and the young women. And it says this after it speaks to each one of those groups and addresses them to either live soberly or ethically. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous 
of good works. And so here we have people who the grace of God has appeared and it's teaching them something. And as a result of that, they're living lives that are zealous. And a zealous life is not a life that's casual. It's not a life that's halfway. It's a life that's all in. Because you can't live ethically trivially. If we live trivially, we will not live ethically. And for that purpose, we are placed here. And it is a worthy purpose. It's a purpose that is worthy of our lives. It's a purpose that consumes the physical to blossom the spiritual. Now this one might catch you a little off guard. I believe that there is a gold mine. Imagine for a minute that you were caught up in the California gold rush. And you traveled west to find gold. And you came across the Rockies, however you happened to travel. You came across the Rockies and, and went down into California and you looked out, you came to the top of a hill and you looked out in front of you and there was this beautiful landscape. Trees, flowers, fields, whatever. You know, I don't know what the conditions of the terrain were. But you, you saw this beautiful landscape. You thought, wow, this is a really beautiful place. But you were not there for the beauty. You were there for something that was underneath the beauty. And so you pull your pick and shovel out of the back of the wagon and with your dreams and hopes of, I think there were rumors of great big nuggets of gold and all kinds of things that people were anticipating and with all these dreams and hopes of big gold rocks laying on top of the ground, you didn't see them and so you started to dig. And you thought you'd strike gold right away. And after you dug down about a foot through nothing but rocks and dirt, you started to wonder, how far am I going to have to dig to get to the gold? If you knew that there was gold beneath where you were digging, would it invigorate you to continue? Would you give up and go somewhere else after you dug down two feet? Well, I didn't find it here. So you move on to another spot, dig another two feet down. But if you knew there was gold there, you'd keep digging because that's what you came for. And you believe that there was value there that was worth, worth the dig. And I believe this morning that in the heart of every person is a gold mine. God has placed an inestimable value in every person. Each of us made in His image can express something that's worth far more than material wealth. And I believe that in this assembly this morning, there are many gold mines. Are we committed 
enough to one another to make it to the gold. Because things might look pretty good on the surface. And we might look around at each other and think, you know, things look pretty good. But as we work together, and as we rub shoulders, and as we start to get into the grind of church work and congregational life, before you know it, it seems like there's more rocks and dirt than anything else. But do I believe that in the heart of my brothers and sisters is a gold mine? And if I believe that that is true, then will I not be invigorated to dig until I get to that gold mine? We might, will we not be invigorated together to do that? It will be our commitment to the value that lies beneath the surface that will determine our engagement in the digging process. First Corinthians 3 9 says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. And so again, there's the power of God at work, but there's us at work too. We're laborers together with God. And so we, as God's children, have a place in God's work, in God's building. And we're engaging in that. And I think there's two tendencies that we have. And one of them is to accept the rocks and dirt as normal and to do nothing about them. To say, well, you know, we're all going to have rocks and dirt, and so let's just have rocks and dirt together. But that's not where the value lies. The other is to reject the person because of the rocks and dirt. And to say, because the individual is like this, then we can't work together. And I think both of those are an incomplete understanding of how God wants us to see our brothers and sisters. What I'm calling us to this morning is to believe enough to go beyond that point. To believe in that value enough to go further. And I believe this morning that if God's Spirit dwells in us, there will be an active desire to have the rocks and dirt dug out because we want Christ to dwell in us richly. We want Christ to be expressed through our lives. And so we'll want to have those rocks and dirt removed from our lives. I'd like to tie these previous points together a little bit. It is only through the power of the gospel that makes this kind of interactive community possible. It's only through seeing God and seeing our brothers from the perspective of God, brothers and sisters, through the perspective of God that we are able to see the value that lies beneath the surface in every person. And not just within the church community, even outside the church community. If you don't believe in the power of the gospel to transform lives, you will not experience it. 
First of all, because you don't truly believe it about yourself. You don't believe that it really has the power to change who you are. And you will not seek it with the commitment necessary for it to become a reality. And so you see our engagement in the process is not just to believe, but also to seek because of that belief. And so the believing creates a seeking. It creates a search until it becomes a reality. The depth of our relationship with the gospel will be the depth of the fulfillment of our purpose. So how deeply are we engaged with the gospel? How deeply do we believe in the gospel? How fully do we believe that it can really make a difference in the world? Our purpose will be fulfilled by our commitment to the value that is possible through the power of the gospel. And so that's a little bit, just a little bit different turn, but it's kind of, I'm trying to tie all those things together. So our purpose as a, as a body here will be fulfilled based on our commitment. And I have one more. This is the conclusion. I believe in you. God has given us here at MMC an abundant treasure. And you are that treasure. And God has placed you in the body at this specific time, in this specific generation, for a specific purpose. You are the treasure that He has given to this group. And I believe that by the power and grace of God working in your life, you bring something that is irreplaceable to this group. I believe that regardless of the rocks and dirt that are part of our humanity, that the gold in you is well worth digging for. Well worth the effort of striving together to remove the rocks and dirt to reach the gold. And because I believe in that, I'm committed to the, to the process of digging. And this will be the process of digging in my life that you will do in my life. Because that's going to be necessary. Because you're part of what makes up the body. And I'm part of what makes up the body. And I need you to be digging in my life for the goal. And I'm committed to digging in your life. Not in the sense of meddling, but the sense of encouraging and strengthening one another and building one another up to bring out the gold that God wants people to see around in this community. God wants people to see the gold. He wants to see the value. And you and I 
are part of the body that make up that value. So may God give us the grace and strength and commitment to walk with Him and to follow Him and to walk with each other and encourage each other to live faithfully.